Well, good morning, friends. Um, like said before, my name is Wale. And it's so good to be in this space. Like, I've heard Mike and Mary and some of the team speak to me about um, this particular space, the building project that happened here. And it's a gorgeous building, and I'm even happier to be with gorgeous people as well. So today, I just want to start off by asking a question. And my question is this. Who do you live for? And secondly, how do you live for them? Who do you live for and how do you live for them? So I just want you to take a second to think about those questions. For some of us, you might be thinking instantly, I live for my partner, my kids, my parents, my boss, my friends, and maybe even my church. I once heard of a crazy story of a lady that went through med school and she studied very hard for the majority of her student life. And after five treacherous years of med school, on her graduation, she smiled, she took a picture with her diploma, and she took pictures with her family afterwards. And after the picture, taken, after the picture was taken, her smile faded, and she handed her diploma back to her father. And she said, Dad, I never wanted to be a doctor but she wanted me to study medicine. But now I am going back to study something I want to do. And she wanted to be a lawyer, so she headed back to law school. You see, for that young lady, she spent the majority of her years living for the delight of her father. So we know it's possible to live for other people. However, in our Western culture, especially due to our education, due to our cultural literature and even social media, there's an emphasis on personal freedom and flourishing. And this is otherwise known as the independent spirit. In other words, it simply means living for yourself and living for your own dreams. And in John chapter six, which is going to be our anchor text for today, we find this dilemma where a group of people are following Jesus in some sense. They're trying to figure out, is this guy really worth living for? And if you know the text, Jesus is becoming increasingly popular. He has, he has basically carried out dramatic and miraculous signs and is healing a lot of sick people. And thousands of people are attracted to him because of these signs. Thousands of people are following, are following him. And on top of that, Jesus performs another miracle and he feeds over 5,000 people with two, with, with two fish and five loaves of bread. And after everyone is well fed and stuffed, there's even some left over to take in a doggy bag. 
And in John chapter 6, verse 14, it says these words. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, verse 15, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself again to a mountain by his side. You see, the crowd were like, aha, we have found him. We found a guy who can heal the sick and who can give us bread on demand. He shall be our king. But when Jesus hears this, he withdraws himself. He doesn't allow them to force him into action. And John chapter 6 continues to tell us that Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee. He walks on water. He goes to the other side to Capernaum. And on the next day, the crowd realized that this Jesus guy, this guy that gave us free bread, is nowhere to be seen. So they decide as well to go over the Sea of Galilee. They all hopped on on small boats. Just imagine thousands of people stuffing in their families into small boats to, to go across the Sea of Galilee, where the waters were so rough. Apparently, those waters would be like could reach up to 10 meters high. Whole families are traveling over to Capernaum in hopes to find a man that can give them bread on demand. Only God knows how good this bread was. We can see that this crowd was so extreme. They were willing to do anything to find a man that could give them what they want. And when they reached the other side, when they reached Capernaum, it picks up in verse 25. The crowd says, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are only looking for me, not because you, you are only looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the God on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They show Jesus this attention, and Jesus is not flattered by their attention, but he questions the crowd's motives on why they are looking for him. And he calls them out. He's explicit. He basically says, the only reason you are looking for me is because of what I can do for you. You want my hand, but you don't want me. Jesus did not want a relationship with them based on what he might give them, but based on what he might be to them. So this crowd is trying to use Jesus. And I want to ask you, have you ever been used before in your life? It's not a good feeling. I remember when I was in secondary school, there was a girl in the year below, and she was a cool girl. And all of a sudden, I noticed, all of a sudden, I noticed that she started paying a lot of attention towards me. She, she started, you know, trying to hang around with me um, a lot more. 
And I thought she was a cool girl. And I was like, okay, yeah, we can hang out. And we started, you know, spending our break times together, lunch times together, after school together. And I even brought her into my friendship circle because I was like, oh, she's a cool person. She's really funny. And then one day, one of my mates came to me and said, Wale, I need to tell you something. I'm like, okay, tell me. They're like, Wale, promise you won't freak out. I'm like, bro, I'm calm. He's like, Wale, I know what you're like. You can freak out. I'm like, bro, I am cool, calm, and collected. Just tell me what you need to tell me. And he said, that specific girl, she is using you. The only reason she got close to you is because she fancies your best friend. And I was like, what? How could... I, honestly, I was so shocked. I was like... There's no way. She's like, honestly, like, Wale, I'm not lying to you. She told me. And so, therefore, I went over to this girl, and I literally, in front of the class, I screamed at her. I am dramatic. <laughs> but I screamed at her, and I said, you used me. You didn't want to be my friend. You only had a crush on my best friend. And she just started crying. She's like, it's true. I'm so sorry, Wale. I'm like, no, I will never forgive you. And luckily, my best mate, he was, lawyer, he was loyal, and he was like, yes, I'm also not going to speak to you again. I can never date a girl like you. And I high-fived him, and we walked away. So that girl tried to use me. And I, and I can imagine that's what the crowd was like. They didn't want a relationship with Jesus in John 6. They only wanted Jesus to set them up. And sometimes, even here in England, in the 21st century, we can have a similar approach that the crowd had with Jesus in John 6. As a pastor and author says, Marcus Sayers, he says, this, he says these words. He says, today we want the kingdom without the king. Today we want the kingdom without the king. In other words... We sometimes come to God, not for him, but for what he can give us. God, I need a new job. I need a new career. I want my career to take off. I need to become successful. I want a new house. I need to pay off my mortgage. I need good grades. I need a relationship. And all these things are good, but if we are not careful, it can become the driving force in which we come to God. And ultimately, it becomes the thing that we live for. And in verse 7, Jesus says these specific words to this crowd that are living for things other than him. And he says these words. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. The crowd followed Jesus just because they believed that the bread, bread was the very thing they needed to survive. So they put in so much effort to try and find a man, like I mentioned before, who could give them bread on demand. And again, to iterate, when they lost Jesus, they went over the Sea of Galilee, over to Capernaum to find him. They traveled at least six miles by boat with a great number of people. 
and it's a lot of effort. Just imagine that picture. Just imagine, I came from central London, so imagine me going to the Tower, um, the, the tower of London and me packing in we have Uber boats in London, me packing in my brothers, my sisters, my uncles, my aunties, my grandparents, and even family friends over to take a boat down to South End for a loaf of Hovis. <laughs> could you imagine that? But who could blame them? In that day, bread was a staple item. It was integral to most of their meals. They probably, they basically lived off bread and they found a man who could casually multiply it. Most of their food budget probably went on bread. Of course they got excited. Not only can this man feed us, but he can also save us so much money. So with the crowd, so this crowd, this is what Jesus is essentially addressing. They basically felt like they could not survive without bread. And what is that thing that you feel like you cannot fundamentally live without? Like I asked before, perhaps you feel like you can't live without a certain financial status, without being successful in your career. Maybe you feel like I can't live without growing having a growing business, good grades, the latest phone or technology, a house, relationship, cool clothes, being ripped. Perhaps I can't live without my holidays or even, you know, the, the prospects of my kids doing well in school. I can't live without those things. And often because we feel like we can't survive without these things, we work so hard at any cost to try and attain it. And all these things aren't bad, but like bread, they are perishable. Often we put more effort in things that Jesus would say spoils, that fade away. And that's when Jesus, and that's when Jesus, when he saw the relentless pursuit of these Jews, of this crowd, he says to them in verse 27, he says, do not put in work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. He's basically saying that what you're mainly pursuing is not worth the majority of your time. It won't fully satisfy or quench your soul and your spiritual hunger. But I can. I can give you a bread that endures to eternal life. I can give you something that completely and will ultimately satisfy you. So they asked Jesus, how can we receive this type of bread that you are talking about that endures to eternal life? And if we follow on, if we follow on in verse 28, it says, they asked, what must we do what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, is to believe in the one who has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what is going on here? 
It's like they are giving Jesus an ultimatum. They're saying, Jesus, we believe you. We will live for you on one, we will live for you, but there's just one stipulation. Give us what we want. Give us a sign. And to be honest, we can also do the same. I've certainly done that, where I've said, God, I will follow you. I will lead worship. I will serve hard at church. If you give me a sign, if you give me what I want, still believe in the lie that if I have this particular thing, I will ultimately be happy and fulfilled. But Jesus says this striking verse to them in verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In other words, you may think that this very thing that you've been praying for, you've been striving for, you've been hustling for, will bring you the most amount of happiness and fulfillment in your life. But it's me. I am your bread. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am the absolute life. I am everything you need. In, in light, I am the light in the darkness, your entrance into security, your ultimate friend, your guide and protector in life, your hope in death, your certainty in perplexity, your source of joy, productivity and creativity, the forgiveness of your sins, the forgiver of your sins and your reconciler to God. Tell me one person, one thing in the world that promises all these things and is actually able to pull it off on a consistent level. Tell me anything that can be a consistent light in the darkness, a consistent source of joy, a consistent voice of clarity, a consistent strength and rest. I have a lot of good friends and great family members, and I've done a lot of cool stuff in my life, but I have never come across anyone else or anything else that's been able to do it, that's been able to do this other than Jesus. And when Jesus says this, he also goes on to say a few more radical statements. For example, in verse 53, Jesus says these words. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I have to admit, in our context and even in theirs, this is a very weird and probably disgusting statement. <laughs> but I should highlight that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. He's essentially saying, anyone who believes in me, anyone who accepts the sacrifice that I will do on the cross will be forgiven for their sins and be at peace with God. So eating and drinking in this context literally means to believe. And after hearing all of these statements, after hearing things like, I am the bread of life, eat and drink my flesh and blood, many from the crowd, many of these groups of, 
of many, you know, this group, there was thousands and thousands of people. Many of them are like, how can anyone accept this? In other words, they're like, hold up, this guy is crazy. Why should we give up our whole lives for you? Your bread is not even that good. Why should we submit, lose everything just for you? And they don't believe that he is ultimately enough. So what happens? They walk away. And the reality is, for some of us, this might be hard to accept as well. How can a relationship with Jesus and living for him bring the most fulfillment in my life? I remember a young lady in my community. She said to me one day, she said, you know, Rev Wale, Jesus is great, but I'm just going to keep it real with you. Jesus can't give me a hug at night. I need a man. Jesus is not enough. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and that's what she said. She believed that Jesus was not enough to even meet her deepest needs. And that was the same for the crowd. So one by one, they started to leave. Where that crowd that was made up of thousands of people was only, what left was only a few dozen. And Jesus turns to his disciples after thousands of people have left. And Jesus turns to them and says, will you leave too? But in verse 68, Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, answers him. And he says in verse 68, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. One translation literally says, Lord, where else shall I go? You have eternity in your hands. We have come to see that everything I ever want and need is found in you. And Simon Peter devoted his life to Jesus wholly, even to the point of death. So for those of us who are Christian or maybe are even thinking about faith, a question that we will sometimes have to address is whether we truly believe Jesus is enough. And I would argue, yes, but it's up to you on whether you believe he is the bread of life, whether he is the person that can fully satisfy you, Christian or non-Christian, and whether you will give up your whole life in pursuit of him. And I had to make this decision when I was in second year of university. I remember going to one of my lectures, and I studied economics. I had an econ, um, a finance background. And I was in one of my lectures, and some of my friends came up to me. They were like, Wale, have you applied to these, you know, um, graduation, um, graduate jobs and stuff? 
and have you applied to these intern programs? Um, and I was like, oh no, has it open? They're like, Wale, like we've already applied to all these different firms, you need to get on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, right after this lecture finishes, I am gonna quickly run to the library and start applying to these consultant firms. So the lecture finished and I literally started sprinting to the library and halfway off from the library, I heard the Lord speak to me. And the Lord said to me, he said, Wale, what you are about to do, I haven't called you for it. And bear in mind, I am a Nigerian kid. I am studying economics. And the Lord is telling me that he has not called me into a life of finance. So you could just imagine the horror and, and the, the sense of confusion that came upon me. And the Lord said to me, he says, I've not called you to this, but I have called you to pioneer. And I had to make a decision on whether or not do I, you know, reject that word and just maybe say, okay, it's probably, you know, the cheese I ate earlier on. Or do I actually say, okay, God, I have no idea what you are calling me to, but I'm going to trust you. And it was a hard conversation I had with my parents afterwards, where I told my parents, I'm not going to apply to any consultant firms, I'm not going to apply for any finance jobs. And they were like, why? You're studying economics, this is the way forward. And I said, because God has called me to pioneer. And they said, and what is this thing you're called to pioneer? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> so obviously I looked very stupid in their eyes. But I had to make a decision, despite what my friends think, despite what my family think, if I truly believe that Jesus is the bread of life, that I have to hold on to those words and I have to live in obedience. And years later, the Lord called me to pioneer my church, Imprint Church. And like they said earlier, we have a plant not just in London, but we also have a plant in Leicester. And I have seen over the years as I've led that church, I have seen so many people come to faith. I've seen so many people set free from their trauma, from their fears. And I've seen people enter into the person that God has called them to be. So the question I want to leave you with is, do you truly believe Jesus is enough? And are you willing to live a life for him more than anything else in your world. Amen? Amen. If we're able to stand, can we? And if we can close our eyes, I just want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, you see the errors in our heart that is divided. You see the other things that is grabbing at our attention, that's grabbing at our affection. And God, we just want to surrender to you afresh. And we say to you, Jesus, that we don't want a divided heart. We don't want a heart that pursues other things, that pursues success, that pursues beauty, that even pursues other people more than you. 
and we disconnect ourselves from that lie that says this thing or that person will ultimately satisfy me. And we believe that you are the bread of life. And maybe you just need to say those words. I believe that you are the bread of life, Jesus. I believe that you are the bread of life. And God, I pray that as we draw close to you right now, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit will be poured out on us. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come and redeem hearts, Jesus. Come and pull us close to you. And would you quench our first? And if you feel like you need to come back to Jesus, or maybe this is your first time even being in a church, but actually you're open in saying, I want to live for Jesus. I want to know this bread of life that he, that we, that, that is spoken about in scripture. Then I want you to just lay a hand on your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Your God, I thank you that you are calling people back home. And I just pray for your forgiveness and where we have pursued other things, where we have propagated other people beyond you. And in our confession, there is so much healing and there is so much freedom. So I thank you that you are opening the doors of freedom right now in the name of Jesus. And I also just speak for people's families, where there's people who are far away from faith, people that don't know you. God, I pray for every single person in this room that's desperate to see you come into their households, into their friendship groups. God, would you empower them afresh so they are witnesses for you, bold and radical. Bold, radical, and unafraid. Make them unapologetic for their faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.